Well, last week, Jim talked about the first 13 verses of chapter 7, where Moses and Aaron appear before Pharaoh and tell him that God wants Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And as Pharaoh has done before, he refuses to let them go, even after Aaron's staff swallowed up the Pharaoh's sorcerer's staff. Now, this morning, we're continuing in chapter 7, and we're also looking at chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. Thus, we did not have the scripture reading uh, this morning. But if you pull out your Bibles, I encourage you to just—we're going to look through all three of these chapters, and we're going to be looking at the nine plagues that God brings upon Egypt— Now, as Jim mentioned last week, Moses takes advantage of the beauty of the Hebrew language. And he uses great artistry to present these plagues in three sets of three. In the first set, there's blood, and then frogs, and then either gnats or some would say lice. And then in the second set, there are flies, animals, diseases, and boils. And then in the third set, it's hell, locust, and darkness coming over the land. Now, it's interesting to note that the first two plagues in each of these sets were announced to Pharaoh beforehand. Presumably in the palace would the first all take place at early morning confrontations with Pharaoh. And the second, all initiated by the command, go to Pharaoh. Whereas the third in each of these sets happened without warning. Now in the first set of plagues, the magicians, they vie with Moses. And they're able to replicate the divine acts in the first two. And then acknowledging the finger of God in the third plague. The fourth, fifth, and sixth plagues introduced a distinction between Israel and Egypt. And after that point, Egypt alone is smitten by the various disasters. God protects the Israelites from the harm of the plagues in the land of Goshen, where they reside. And then finally, in the first series of the three plagues, we read of Aaron's use of his own staff. In the second series, there's no reference to the staff at all. And then in the third series, it is the staff of Moses, or his hand, that is mentioned. Now, you might be asking yourself, why did I go over all of that? Why does Moses go to such great artistic lengths as he details the nine mighty acts of God? And most commentators agree that the answer is that Moses uses the Hebrew language and the artistry in such an organized way so as to inform his readers then and to inform us today that the nine acts were quite the opposite of chance. But instead, they were designed and planned as a whole with the aim not only of edging Pharaoh to the point of releasing the people, but also presenting proof to Pharaoh and Israel that the Lord is God. Now additionally, this morning, I believe that Moses went to great lengths to write about these non-plagues in the way he did to demonstrate three things about these plagues. 
And the first is that the plagues, they highlight for us the progressive nature of sin. The plagues, they highlight for us the progressive nature of sin and the hardness of heart that results. Secondly, the plagues, they serve to demonstrate God's hatred of sin and call for repentance. And then thirdly, the plagues, they reveal God's power and God's mercy. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I would just ask that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, we're talking about weighty subjects this morning as we talk about your hatred of sin, as we talk about our own propensity to move towards sin, and as we talk about your power and your mercy. And so would you take away the distractions of the cold? We're grateful for the sunshine that warms us And we ask that you would have your way with us, Holy Spirit. And we pray this in your name. And so the first thing that I want us to consider as we look at these nine plagues is that the plagues show the progressive nature of sin and the hardness of heart that results. Now, as Jim mentioned last week, one of the most difficult phrases to understand in the book of Exodus is this phrase that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, so often we read this phrase and we think it means that Pharaoh had no choice other than to sin and disobey God. We think that God, when when he says that he hardened his heart, that God blinded Pharaoh's eyes in such a way that the only choice he could make was a choice to disobey. But we know from Scripture That God is not the author of evil. He does not tempt us. And his heart is not for us to walk in darkness. But instead is for us to obey him. So if this is the case, what does God mean when he says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Now, the answer is found in these three chapters. Because what we see in our text this morning is that each time Moses approached Pharaoh, he had the opportunity to obey or disobey God. He could have obeyed God and set the Israelites free. And as a result of his obedience, the people would have been spared the suffering inflicted by the plagues. But as we look at our text, we read again and again and again how Moses went to Pharaoh. Moses told Pharaoh what God wanted, what the consequences would be. And each time, Pharaoh willfully chose to disobey God. And with every act of disobedience, Pharaoh's heart grew more cold and callous to the things of God. So much so that his stubbornness and sin brought about great destruction throughout Egypt. And while Pharaoh would feign repentance to yet get the, the flies to leave or to gain relief from the boils because his heart was so hardened to the things of God because of sin had taken root in his heart, 
but he chose to continue to disobey. Paul describes this hardening of heart that exists in Pharaoh's heart and potentially exists in our own in Romans chapter 1. Hear Paul's words in Romans chapter 1. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought not be done. You see, in this passage, Paul describes to us what it means when God says that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. He tells us that while we might be deceived into believing that we can make one poor choice, and then that will be the end of it, or we can play with sin and not be bitten by it. The truth is, the more we make choices to disobey God, the more we open ourselves up to letting sin take root in our hearts. So much so that even as it grieves God, our hearts are hardened and we become callous and we continue to walk in disobedience. And so when we read the phrase, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, a legitimate summary isn't that God tempted Pharaoh or blinded Pharaoh, but rather Pharaoh, when faced with the choice to obey God or disobey God, continually chose to disobey God. So much so that God gave him over to his sin and no longer chose to mitigate the negative effects of sin on Pharaoh's heart and mind. And as you read through each plague narrative, we see God giving Pharaoh a way out. And Pharaoh continually chooses darkness over light, disobedience over obedience, so much so that toward the last few plagues, his heart was so hard that he says that he will repent in order for God to relent, only to go back on his word as soon as the plague was over. And so as we read these chapters this morning and consider these nine plagues, we must not only see the devastation that they brought, but we must also see them as a warning that they serve to all of us about how sin has the possibility of taking root in our lives and taking us further away from God and a life of obedience. As a counselor, I've met with many addicts over all of these years. And 
never has someone come into my office and said that they set out to be an addict. They, uh, they always say that they, they were going to do it one time and then stop. And then the one time turned to two times and the two times turned to three times and their heart grew harder and harder and harder. Now I know in your mind you're thinking, well, I'm not an addict. But I think the same principle applies to us is when we choose to disobey God and say, oh, you know, we're, I'm just going to go out and, and party and get drunk this one time. That's it. I'm not going to do it again. And then, oh, a second time. And then a third time. And then a fourth time. And you can put whatever sin in that box. And then over time, what happens is our hearts, like Pharaoh, grow hardened. And as much as it grieves God, he gives us over to our sin and to the consequences of our sin. And so this morning, as we're in the Advent season, I believe this passage is a warning to us to take sin seriously and to not play around with it. To not say, I'm going to do it once and not again. God's heart is for us to never walk in disobedience, but to walk in obedience. And so the first thing we see is that these plagues, they show the progressive nature of sin and the hardness of heart that results. Secondly, we see that the plagues serve to demonstrate God's hatred of sin. As we've talked about the nine different plagues, one thing is common to all of them. And that is that all of them brought about great suffering and hardship on their intended audience. Now, for many of us, it's difficult to get our minds around the fact that God would allow such suffering. But as I've spent time meditating on these chapters this week, I've come to realize that if we have a problem with the harshness of the plagues, we forget that we serve a God who is utterly and demonstrably against sin. J.A. Motyer says this, I fear that so many, things, so many times we in the evangelical church would prefer the bliss of a kingdom of God without moral absolutes presided over by a God without wrath, and entered through a Christ without a cross. But the price of this is to disregard not just this or a bit of the Bible, but the whole God-given book. The horror of the plagues is a sober reminder to the Israelites then, and it's a sober reminder to us today how much God hates sin. The truth is, in the eyes of the Lord, disobedience is as greatly abhorred as obedience is prized. And so when we read our text and how God sent a plague of boils that covered the Egyptian men and women and children, our stomachs turn at the thought of the pain and the suffering that these boils must have caused the Egyptians. But we must remember that the plagues were a direct result of Pharaoh's and the people who followed him's disobedience. And the plagues were given in an effort 
to turn their hearts back to God. Our God is a holy God, and He hates evil. He hates sin in our world. His heart breaks when we disobey Him. And because He is holy, He cannot stand by and do nothing. The wrath of God is against sin and evil in our world. And His judgment and wrath were poured out on Christ on the cross. Christ, He has bared and paid the price for our sin. But as Paul writes, this doesn't mean that we go on sinning. Paul says, by no means should grace give us license to sin. And in Hebrews, we read of a loving father who disciplines his children so as to keep us from sin. In Hebrews 12, the author says this, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone who he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The plagues, they show us God's hatred of sin and his desire for us to humbly repent before him. And like all of you as parents, discipline your children when they're disobeying you out of love and kindness. Our God lovingly disciplines us just like he disciplined Pharaoh, so that we might align our lives with his truth. Our heavenly Father's heart is, re- is for repentance, not destruction. And so this morning, if you find yourself enduring some great hardship, it might simply be a result of the brokenness of the world and have nothing to do with sin. Or it could possibly be, as Jim mentioned last week with the pandemic, God's discipline calling us to realign our lives with the truth of his word. I don't know which it is for each of you. And I have to ask the Holy Spirit to explore my own heart when hardships come. But if it is sin, 
we need to take it seriously, lest our hearts grow hardened and we continue to walk in the darkness instead of in the light. So the first thing we see as we look at these plagues is that they show the progressive nature of sin and the hardness of heart that results. Secondly, we see that the plagues serve to demonstrate God's hatred of sin and a call to repentance. And thirdly and lastly, the plagues reveal God's power and his mercy. Several years ago, I visited the 9-11 memorial in New York City. And as I walked through the hallowed ground where the trade towers once stood, I was reminded of the horrific evil that took place and so many innocent lives that were lost that day. But as I heard story after story of first responders helping save others from the towers and complete strangers working together to get down 50 flights of stairs and out to safety, I was reminded of the incredible strength and courage we as Americans have in the face of tragedy. Events like 9-11 tell us who we are as people and as a nation. Likewise, as we look at these nine plagues and all that transpires, we see not only who Pharaoh is, as we've discussed earlier, we also see the character of God. We see that he is holy and that he hates sin and evil. We also see that God is all-powerful and merciful. You'll notice that after Moses and Aaron turned the water to blood in Egypt, that Pharaoh, he called in his magicians, and they were able to do the same thing by their secret arts. And then during the second plague, after Moses and Aaron, they stretched out their hands and the land was swarming with frogs, Pharaoh once again called in his magicians, and they did the same thing by the secret arts. And they made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. But in the third plague, when God called Moses to tell Aaron to stretch out his staff and to strike the dust of the earth so that it might become gnats and they might spread throughout the whole land. And then Pharaoh's magicians were coming, they came in and they tried with their secret arts to produce gnats. And as much as they tried, they failed. They then went to Pharaoh and told him that this indeed is the finger of God who caused these things to happen. They acknowledged that these plagues were beyond human power and sorcery. They could only be attributed to the power of a higher being. They could only be attributed to the power of God. And as we read on, we see God demonstrating his power over the things on the ground and the things in the sky. And then some commentators, they've tried to diminish God's power by linking the flies to the death of the livestock. And then somehow infecting the humans and causing boils. But then you jump and the next plague happens to be weather related. Completely unrelated to the flies or the boils or the death of the animals. As hell poured down over Egypt. And then the wind caused the locusts 
to storm in. And then the whole solar system becomes dark over all the earth. These plagues, they are gruesome and they are tragic. And they demonstrate the power of our God who by his finger can cause all these unnatural phenomena to occur on the earth. And then with his voice, command them to stop. Moses wants the Israelites then, and he wants us today to remember God's power for the Israelites because they are going to certainly be tested in the desert. And as they enter the promised land and need to draw on the strength and the power of the Lord, they're going to need to remember these plagues and God's power. And we too need to remember the power of God as we face this pandemic. We too need to draw on the power of God as we face the holidays in ways that we've never faced them before. His strength will carry us on. And these plagues demonstrate His power, but they not only demonstrate His power, they tell us of His incredible mercy. For you'll notice during each of the nine plagues, when Moses pleads with God to relent, God does what? He demonstrates mercy. He turns the blood back to water. He heals the boils. He changes the direction of the wind so the locusts are driven out of the land. One commentator says, The visitations of the wrath of God, however justly due, are held within the brackets of his inexplicable mercy. God showed mercy in the midst of the calamity. for He could have allowed the plagues to continue. And as we'll see in the next weeks, he showed mercy as he instructed the angel of death to pass over the Hebrew homes who had the lamb's blood spread over the threshold. And as we know, his mercy didn't stop with the Passover, but it extended throughout the history of Israel in the desert, into the promised land, into exile, and with the sending of his one and only son to enter our world, to live a life that was perfect, and to die a death he did not deserve to die, and then to be raised. And by his grace and his mercy, all of us who profess faith in him might have everlasting life. This is our God, a God of power and a God of mercy, a God who loves us so much that he would die so that we and all of creation might be restored to him. The last question that I have for each of you this morning is, do you know this God? And I don't mean, do you know him with your mind only? There's tons of philosophers who believe that God exists. Do you know him with your mind and with your heart? Do you have a relationship with God? Interestingly, when, Pharaoh, when Moses went to Pharaoh initially, what did, what did Pharaoh say? He mocked him and said, who is this God? The question for all of us is, can we answer 
this God is Jehovah. This God is Elohim. This God is El Shaddai. This God is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and lived and died so that we might be restored to Him. Advent season is a season of waiting, waiting for the celebration of Christmas, waiting for His return. And I can't think of a greater gift that you can give to a neighbor than sharing about this God who loves them, who wants to rescue them from their sin. And I don't think a greater gift that we can give God this Christmas is our worship of Him, our willingness to come out here in this cold and even to risk getting COVID. That is a gift to Him. Whether we worship Him here or we worship Him online and we worship Him throughout the day, that's the greatest gift that you can give this Christmas. These plagues... They show the progressive nature of sin and the hardness of heart that results. These plagues, they demonstrate God's hatred of sin and a call to repentance. And these plagues reveal the power and the mercy of God. My prayer for us is that may His Word have its way in our hearts and minds today. And may we be transformed by him. Amen.